a wild, wild few days in the Yankee universe with the losses in games two and three to the Guardians, and then the rain delays, the wins in games four and five. The roller coaster continued with a loss in game one of the championship series in Houston, but they come back with game two tonight. I recap all those games and I preview game two of the championship series for the Yankees and Astros. I also talked about the huge wins in the NFL for the two New York football teams. Basketball started, the Rangers are playing really well. It's a loaded episode. All that and more coming up next. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Today's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. I often talk on this podcast about breaking the stigma surrounding mental health. So if you're feeling stressed, depressed, or just want to talk, today's sponsor, BetterHelp, is here to help you. BetterHelp connects you with a licensed, experienced therapist online, and you have access to over 20,000 different therapists that you may not have access to in your area. All you have to do is fill out a questionnaire, and 48 hours later, you're set up with a therapist that fits your needs. You can then schedule video or phone calls and have access to unlimited messages back and forth with your experienced therapist. You can also change to a new therapist at any time with no extra charge. I often talk on this podcast about how perspective is anything, and that's something I learned in therapy. I had terrible anxiety, and I learned about how changing your perspective can change the reality. So take charge of your mental health and join the over 2 million people who already use BetterHelp for therapy online today. And if you use my code, you can get an extra 10% off on your first month. So go to betterhelp.com Rami for 10% off. That's B-E-T-T-E-R help h-e-l-p dot com slash rami for 10% off your first month do it today all right welcome back to the rami la vie podcast it's presented as always by BetterHelp. you know the drill already um today's episode is gonna be a little bit more off the cuff something we're not so used to but it's an instant reaction pod to the playoffs i haven't really done this much but that's because of the holidays i've been away been tough to record all that stuff not making excuses just the fact i wish i could have record um and so let's get i do want to get right into it um if you're a yankee fan right now and to give you context right now it is 12 a.m on thursday morning the yankees just lost game one about an hour ago to the houston astros in houston they fall 4-2 they strike out 17 times and we'll get into all the stats and all that uh in a minute but if you're a yankee fan right now and you're the sky is falling, series over, Yankees lost. I can't help you anymore. It's one game. Look, I'm not Mr. Positive. I'll criticize what needs to be criticized, and I'm going to do that. I'm going to talk all about this game. I'm going to talk about the things that went poorly and the things the Yankees could have and should have done better. And there's a, a million things that they could have and should have done better. But to come out here and say, oh, the sky's falling, the season's over, we lost, how could we lose this game? This was a game that was in Houston. This is a game that coming off of a bunch of rain delays and going into Houston the way they did, flying in after clinching the division series last night in the fashion that they did. Obviously, the celebration back at the stadium, whether there was a big celebration or not, who knows, but there was some sort of celebration, we think. And then coming back to Yankee Stadium, everything that went into it, all the circumstances, and then the way the Yankees came out tonight, they looked slow. They looked tired. Yeah, the bats weren't there. Outside of two solo shots, they didn't get much going. They weren't good, and Jamison Tyone started. They put none of their high-leverage guys in, and we'll get to all that in a minute as well. But to come out here and be like, it's over, they lost, the series is over, how could they come back? I don't know. I mean, like I said, I can criticize as much as the next guy, and throughout this game on Twitter, if you look, I was criticizing. I didn't like some of the moves. But at the same time, I'm not going to tell you the season's over. I'm not going to tell you what I don't believe in. I think this team is resilient. They've shown it all year. They showed it in the Cleveland series, which we didn't recap yet, but we'll get to in a minute. And I think the biggest thing in that Cleveland series is we learned that even if they're slow, if they come out poorly, they can still turn around. Even if they make mistakes, they can overcome. And they made mistakes. And we're going to get into some of the stuff from the Cleveland series that we didn't even get a chance to get into. Obviously, Game 2 gets delayed to Friday. And then Friday, I couldn't record Friday night. Saturday night, I did just after that debacle. I was just didn't want to record at all. And then last night, obviously, flying home today. So 
all that stuff. Couldn't record last night uh, after they clinch um, because I had to go back and watch the game still um, after my holiday. So a lot to go back. So we'll go back and start from the Cleveland series, basically the middle of the Cleveland series. But if you're a Yankee fan who's sitting there today and you're like, sky is falling, season over, I, I just... You haven't watched this team at all. You haven't watched this team this year. And you definitely haven't watched any playoff baseball. That's not to say this was fun. That's not to say this was a great game by any means. This game sucked. Yeah, I get it. But have faith. Have faith in this team because they've given you reason to have faith. Garrett Cole has given you reason to have faith. Luis Severino was pretty good last time out. This bullpen has looked pretty good the last couple times out. Aaron Judge, over the course of 162, has given you reason to have faith that he'll come through. Giancarlo Stanton, too, by the way. So... Are there some mistakes? Are there some things they have to iron out? Do they have to figure out the five, six spots in the lineup with Carpenter and Donaldson? Do we think we'll see that again tomorrow night? Carpenter and Donaldson? No. Yeah, the thing about these series is is you don't have a lot of time (laughs) to react. You have to make quick decisions. You can't just let it play out and adjust as you go. you got to make adjustments on the fly quickly. But I don't know. I trust they will more than any other year. We've seen them make adjustments so far in this postseason already. I trust that they'll continue to make the right adjustments, they'll continue to make the right moves, and they'll figure it out one way or another. I don't know. Maybe they'll get swept in this series, but the series is far from over. All that said, I'm doing, like I said, a little bit more off the cuff because I didn't really take much notes. I was in the airport at the beginning, and there's a lot to talk about. I do want to get to a lot of things, so I have some footnotes of what I want to talk about on this episode, but like I said, I'm going to take it back to game two of the division series. And that's a game where you start to see the problems that I've had all along with Aaron Boone. Well, they go up to nothing. Giancarlo Stanton hits the two-run home run. Again, mistakes in the field from Isaiah Conifaleffer. The mistakes from the offense not coming through after they went up to nothing, just totally stopping to play. They had other opportunities. They had Bieber on the ropes a couple times. Didn't come through at all. Yeah, those are not great things if you're the Yankees. But at the end of the day, when you're going into the extra innings, you're going to bring in a guy who's a starter who hasn't pitched a high leverage spot, especially not in the extra innings at all, his entire career out of the bullpen. You're going to bring him in in that spot. Aaron Boone, you have to know who to bring in in which spot. And we'll get into this when we talk about tonight's game. We'll get into this when we talk about, obviously, game three on Saturday night for the Yankees. There are so many situations in these playoffs where Aaron Boone has proven that he has a certain map of how he's going to go about the bullpen in particular and the game plan as the game progresses and he's not going to vary too much from that map and we talked about how the maneuvering was going to be huge for Aaron Boone and the Yankees so far if the Yankees wanted to go on a serious run in the playoffs the maneuvering by Aaron Boone was going to have to be the most important thing that happened probably for the Yankees and yet Aaron Boone has come up really small I want to take you back to 2018 game three the Yankees had a 1-1 series tie coming out of Boston. And Luis Severino, for the second time in his playoff career, just clearly didn't have it in a game. Now, what happened in 2017 when he clearly didn't have it in the wildcard game is Joe Girardi went to, at the time, his most effective reliever, Chad Green, got out of the trouble in that inning with two strikeouts, stopped the bleeding, D.D. Gregorius hits the three-run homer, got the momentum back, Yankees come back, and then you go to the long guy to get length out of the bullpen. As opposed to Aaron Boone, the following year, went to Lance Lynn, who, while he's a solid starter and has become actually a very good, very capable starter since then, in the later stage of his career with the White Sox, in that particular season, he was not great for the Yankees. He was okay. He was not great for the Yankees. And so bringing him in, in that spot especially, he had never come out of the bullpen. That was the other thing. He was a starter. He hadn't come out of the bullpen all year. And you bring him in out of the pen in that spot, in a huge spot, he doesn't stop the bleeding. The Red Sox pour on, and the game is out of reach. Yankees obviously lose game three, and I was at game four when they lost game four and lose the series in four to Boston. And now we're seeing a repeat of history, and we've seen this time and time again with Boone. His next guy is his long guy, so no matter what, he's going to go to his long guy. And whether was that, that was Jamison Tyone in the extra innings, in the 10th inning when he's never pitched out of the bullpen in his life, whether it was Clark Schmidt cleaning up for Wandy Peralta in a Game 3 when already clearly Wandy Peralta had some trouble, and instead of going to a guy who you know can come out of the pen in a high-leverage spot and shut it down, like Clay Holmes, who it was unclear whether he was available or not, clearly a dispute there, or just sticking with Wandy Peralta because you already decided to start the inning clean with him, but in the middle of an inning, already in a jam, you bring in Clark Schmidt, that backfired, or whether it was tonight, 
and you go to Clark Schmidt again. And it's like, well, we're going to get Clark Schmidt because that's the next guy up. He's the guy who can give us length. That's not the point. The point isn't who can give you length right now. The point is who can get out of this particular jam. In my opinion, the guy that they should have gone to in that spot when you're in a jam and you need to get out of it with Tyone. And I know Clark Schmidt did get out of it. He got the double play and then it was the next inning when he gave up the two home runs. But Jamison Tyone, he gave you exactly what I said he was going to give you. I told you before the game, and this is my exact prediction, I said... Somebody said, what's Jamison Tyone going to do tonight? And I said, he'll go, well, the exact question was, how long do you think Jamison Tyone goes tonight? I said, four and a third, but an effective four and a third. That's exactly what he did. He was an effective four and a third. He got you exactly what you'd expect if you're the Yankees, exactly what you would expect out of him. And instead of going to the bullpen at that spot and going to a guy like Jonathan Loizaga to end the inning right there effectively and then bring in Clark with a clean inning, I don't care. I think you messed with Clark's head maybe mess with his confidence but bringing him in in that spot in that tightrope spot in that situation where you intentionally walk a guy and then he walks another guy that type of situation for Clark Schmidt to be in is not the situation you want to put him in and that could have messed him up in the following following inning I don't know maybe 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 it did maybe it didn't but the point is we've now seen this in three games this year and we've seen this in the past and as far back as 2018 when the Yankees lost in four to Boston that we've seen Aaron Boone make a decision before ahead of time that I'm going to go. If it's an early inning, I'm going to go to my long guy right away when clearly he should be going to a guy to get the most important outs because it's the most important part of the game. Terry Francona is a manager that is fantastic at that. We've seen that in the past where when you need to get your highest leverage outs, that's when you go to your top guy. And we saw that with Andrew Miller. We saw it with the Cubs a bunch of years ago when they won the World Series with Aroldis Chapman. Those guys were closers, but they came in sometimes in the fourth and fifth innings because they needed to get the biggest outs, and those were the biggest outs of the game. Because if you don't get through the high leverage spots in those spots of the game, you won't have high leverage spots left at the end of the game because the games will be over. And Aaron Boone has proven time and time again that he doesn't look at those early in the ballgame spots as the high leverage spots. If you brought in Loisaga in that spot and he got you out of that fifth inning, then he could go the sixth inning. That's fine. You already brought him in the game. You already burnt the arm. And that's the other thing about Boone. He's been giving guys such short leashes, but they can't pick some back-to-back days. You can't have it both ways. If they're only throwing 8 to 12 pitches in a ball game, then at least they should be available the next night. Why are they throwing 8 pitches in a game and then also not available the next night? Again, I like Aaron Boone the person. <laughs> I like him as a manager, too. I don't think he's that bad. But we've seen a few things, and they've reared their ugly head in this series. One, he just doesn't hold guys accountable. It's so obvious. You see Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, finally they take him out of the game. And like I said, I don't think they would have done this in any other season where they take Isaiah Kiner-Falefa out in the two elimination games. But what, you're going to wait till you get to an elimination game again? They put him back in for the championship series? What's the point of having Oswald Peraza on the, on the roster if you're not going to put him at shortstop when he's clearly the best shortstop on the team? What's the point of having him on the roster for the championship series? Same thing with Josh Donaldson. Now, I think keep Josh Donaldson there because he plays such a good third base. Bat him ninth if you have to. But we saw the same thing with him where he thinks he hit the home run and he's rounding first, high-fiving the first base coach. In that game, it didn't bite them. But that's another situation where clearly this team is not learning from their past mistakes because they have a manager who doesn't hold them accountable, who says, yeah, no, it's not, you know, takes all the blame and says, yeah, he was pushing a little bit or whatever it was. I don't think that's a good thing to have from a manager. So I think right now in this postseason, Aaron Boone has held this team back. And I think this team has played better and overcome what he's been doing as a manager. That said, you can't complain too much, right? They make it out of the series against Cleveland. They're playing the Astros. They're where you expected them to be in the championship series. But my God, I mean, are we going to sit through the same stuff again? Somebody has to talk to him. Somebody has to be in his ear telling him, all right, these are mistakes that are clearly plaguing you over and over again. And I think with Joe Girardi, we saw some of the mistakes in the division series in 2017, especially the one where he didn't challenge the call on uh, the check swing, that was a foul ball. I don't know if you remember, hit by pitch, foul ball uh, back in 2017. He doesn't challenge it with Francisco Lindor, I think it was. Then he hits a three-run homer a couple pitches later. I don't need to bring it up again. But the point was, at that moment, the Yankees looked at that and said, all right, this guy can't be managing for us in big spots anymore. No matter what happens this season, barring a World Series championship, he's being fired. And at the end of the day, they just fired him. And Or he, they didn't renew his contract. With Boone, it's a different situation. He doesn't have an expiring contract coming up. In fact, they just signed him to a new four-year deal heading into this season. So he's got three more years left. But at what point do you look at this and say, my God, anything short of a championship, this guy is costing us game after game. 
we can't continue like this. And like I said, this is a guy I like. This is a guy in Aaron Boone that I think is a pretty good manager. I think he's actually pretty good at his job. But unfortunately, right now, he's not getting the job done for the Yankees. Despite that, the team is overcoming. And like I said, I started this podcast talking about how I'm not going to be a downer. I'm not going to be one of those fans who's like, the season's over because the season's far from over. And there's plenty of opportunity for him to make adjustments and for them to come back and for them to bail him out of it again. So just like the Yankees did in 17, where they came back after being down 2-0 in that series to Cleveland, they essentially bailed Joe Girardi out. Didn't save him his job, but they bailed him out and made it to Game 7 against Houston. This year, they have the same opportunity, and it's only one game. Remember, 17, they lost the first two games in Houston, and they still took the series to seven games. In 19, they split the first two games in Houston, and yet they still lost in six games. So it doesn't really matter. Game one, yeah, you'd like to win game one, but like I said, it wasn't a must-win game for the Yankees where they weren't even expected to win this game. They had so much riding against them, and they ultimately lose. Now, they did have Justin Verlander on the ropes early. They should have taken advantage when they had Verlander on the ropes early. No doubt in my mind that... You get a big home run from Bader, another home run, his fourth home run in six postseason games already. He's clearly made for New York. He's a Yankee superstar already. He's a postseason superstar, and you're not going to see anyone crying about Jordan Montgomery anymore from Yankee fans. And by the way, I was listening in the car because I was coming from the airport. Uh, I was on a flight, and I was listening to the car when um, he hit that home run, and John and Susan just couldn't contain themselves at that point. Um, They call him the master Bader, and... John and Susan were having a real good time in the booth when he hit that home run. Some real incredible calls by John and Susan uh, reacting. They they were just happy. They were thrilled for the kid. And obviously the sixth home, fourth home run, like I said, in six playoff games. And then the Yankees had him on the ropes. The Yankees had opportunities against Justin Verlander early. And then he settled in. And that's what happens every time. We talk about this all the time when you let one of these pitchers settle in. And again, the Yankees get a start that... I said four and a third, effective four and a third from Jamison Tyone. That's all you could have expected from Jamison Tyone. And yet the Yankees get that. And unfortunately, they can't take advantage of it. So a lot went wrong in this game for the Yankees. Don't get me wrong. There were so many things that could have been done differently. And I think Boone is the biggest story of all of it. But at the same time, the sky's not falling. The series is not over yet. It's just one game. And I kind of joked on Twitter. I saw a lot of fans saying, don't worry, Yankees in seven. Even Yankees in seven. Is this series worth three games? Or this game worth three games, this one game that they lost? Are they counting the losses from last series to this game also or to this series also? Where now they're down 3-0 in the series because this game counts for three losses? Yankees in five. They could come back and win four straight. It can happen. Do I believe it will? Not likely, but it can. So I do want to go back to the ALDS and what happened uh, in that series a little bit. Because I need to walk back some of the things I said. And obviously the Yankees, they go down 2-1. to one. Obviously it happens the way it does with the walk-off in Game 3, which was just awful. Like, just terrible to watch as bad a Yankee loss as I've watched. And coming off the heels of Game 2, and you think, wow, the rain delay and then playing a day game. It's just bad juju all around and the series might be over. And I thought Garrett Cole was going to show his true colors, if you will, in game four. And he was going to blow that game. Like classic Cole wins the easy one in game one. And then game four, when you really need him, that's when he blows it. And then he wins game four. And then I was really annoyed. After he won game four, I was like, and we'll get to Cole's performance in a second, because that's really what I want to talk about. But after he won game four, that's when I got annoyed that they lost the way they lost in games two and three, because I was like, Man, this is a winnable series, and this series should have been over. Like, this series should have realistically been over already, and because they lost the way they lost, now they have to play a Game 5 when they shouldn't have had to play a Game 5. And that's when I got frustrated, because if Garrett Cole had pooped the bed, then it's like, all right, same thing. Obviously, we have the same situation where Garrett Cole doesn't come through in a big spot, and we can keep that narrative going and all that. And maybe that narrative does come back again, but it would take the Yankees playing in more meaningful games down the line. Obviously, he's going to pitch at least one more time in Game 3, likely, in this series. But it means that the Yankees are playing more meaningful games if Garrett Cole has to, you know, poop the bed again in a big spot. But at this point, it's like, oh, he just pooped the bed in a big spot, and the series is over. Yankees go home. Obviously, tough loss in Game 2 and Game 3, but you could put it on Cole and all that. But Garrett Cole did the exact opposite. He comes out and he dominates. 
And then obviously the Yankees come home and they win game five the way they do. Obviously after that game gets postponed, another crazy game, but you make up for the fact that it was postponed in game two. You make up for it in game three and you think about what happened in the division series and you think about what Garrett Cole did. Two games, 13 and a third innings, only three runs, 16 strikeouts, only two walks, and he's 2-0, and gets two of the wins and gets maybe the two biggest wins, the one to set the tone in game one of the series and the one when they had their backs against the wall on the road. And really after that home run that Josh Naylor hit and the big home run that everyone talked about where he did the rock the baby, after that home run, Garrett Cole totally settled down. And from that point on, it was like almost he got angry. He took it personally that he did that. And that's the Garrett Cole that you love. That's the Garrett Cole that you saw in Houston where when somebody did something like that, he's like, oh, you're going to mock me? I'm going to kill you i'm not going to say anything i'm going to look down i'm going to pretend i didn't see it but i'm going to dominate you for the next three and a third innings or whatever it was however long after that because that happened in the fourth so however much longer after that he was in the game through the seventh inning he absolutely dominated and he if there's a player of the division series if there was an alds mvp it was garrett cole garrett cole was worth every penny that the Yankees paid for him, and he was exactly the guy you expected. When you traded for him, you envision series like that where the team, the manager, so many things didn't go your way, the bullpen, everything that happened went against you, and one guy changed that entire series for you, and that was Garrett Cole. Another guy who was incredible in the series, obviously you mentioned him, Harrison Bader. He hits the three home runs in that series, obviously, including the one in Game 4 to send them back to a Game 5 Obviously, Giancarlo Stanton continues to rake in the postseason, and he hits a home run at home in Game 5. Nasty Nestor, two starts. Obviously, he doesn't get the win in his first start because they ultimately lose in extras, but in his second start, he delivers in Game 5 on short rest, so the first time he ever did that, and I still mind-boggling to me that they don't go with Shane Bieber. Cleveland didn't in Game 5, especially after the Yankees decided they were going to go Nestor on short rest. And Wendy Peralta, he'd probably be my 1A to Garrett Cole. The first pitcher to ever pitch in all five games of division series, obviously with the way it worked out again with the days off because of the rain delays. It was weird, and that's why he ends up pitching in all five games. Um, but he was remarkable, and I know in game three he kind of left with trouble, and I thought he should have stayed in, but that was after going longer than maybe he should have or maybe he usually does. Pitching again after pitching the day before, in Yankee Stadium, he has to come back the next day and pitch on the road, and he was just incredible. He locked it down every time he was out there. He got all the big outs, um, so Wandy Peralta was huge, and if you look at the bullpen right now, who do you trust? Who's the number one guy you trust at this bullpen? It's weirdly Wandy Peralta. I think he's the most trustworthy guy. I think Loizaga's showing you a lot. Like I said, I think Loizaga should have been the guy in that spot. Maybe you bring Wandy in because it's the lefty, and then you don't have to intentionally walk um, Jordan Alvarez in that spot. I don't know, but like I said, I would have gone either one of them uh, in game one, but it's just game one. And then you get to the championship series. So that's a division series. I think we put a bow on it. Anyone? I'm not really going to talk about the Yankee fans celebrating. There are a lot of celebration police on Twitter that we're not allowed to celebrate. If you're an anti-Yankee fan, and this is the one message I'll say about it, you can't have it both ways. If you're going to tell the Yankee fans that they haven't won forever, they can't chant 27 rings because they haven't won since 09, and they've only won one since 2000. Then you can't also then come and say, if you've won 27 rings, how do you celebrate like you've never been there before? Either we've never done it before or we've done it countless times before. One or the other. You can't have it both ways. And either way, don't dictate how I celebrate my team. For you, if you were the Orioles, if the Mets, if the Red Sox, if any of those teams were here, we wouldn't tell you what to do. we just let you be. So all those fans of all those teams who are clearly angry that their teams are at home watching us and they have to listen and watch our games and watch the highlights and see us on TV every day, sucks to suck, doesn't it? Then we get the American League Championship Series. And back to that. Again, Yankees are in it. Most of your teams are not. And when you're looking at this roster, you're thinking, so what are the Yankees going to do with the roster, right? A lot of people wanted Oswald Peraz on it. A lot of people think Ron Marinaccio is going to be healthy enough to be back. A lot of people want Matt Carpenter. Is DJ LeMayhu coming back? What's going on with the roster? Finally, so we get Oswald Peraza. And it makes sense. How are you going to go anywhere else where... Aaron Hicks is hurt. He's not coming back. Clearly, you don't trust IKF at shortstop anymore, and that's the right call. You didn't play him in the two elimination games at shortstop. So the only answer is Oswald Peraza. He's the best shortstop that the Yankees currently have, the best option. And we saw it last year with Andrew Velasquez. It took them all year to finally move off of Glaber Torres at short, and they go to Andrew Velasquez. So finally, it took till, I guess, you're with your back against the wall in an elimination game to go to a different player at shortstop, and they went with Oswaldo Cabrera, the other Oswaldo, but they decide to bring Oswaldo Peraza on the ALCS roster. And it's like, okay, makes sense. You're putting Oswald Cabrera, Oswald Peraza 
on the championship series roster. Perfect. The puzzling part was they put Frankie Montas on. Of course, he plays in this game. Um, he does pitch. He gives up the home run. We know that. But it's typical Yankees where they go back to being so stubborn. And the way this franchise has been ran for the last couple of years, whether it's Boone or Cashman or whoever's making these decisions, but for some reason, we have to run this franchise with such cockiness where we know better than you. And despite the fact that we admitted that Isaiah kiner falefa is not the guy, and he's clearly not the guy, and we don't start him in the biggest games of our season, the two elimination games, the two biggest games by far, because the Yankees didn't even have to push for a playoff spot at the end of the season, right? They had the division locked up pretty early on because of the great start they had. And you never had a big spot, so you never took Isaiah kiner falefa out of the starting lineup. But in your two biggest games of the season, you take him out. Just to put him right back in in the championship series, the Yankees treated this game one like it was like, yeah, I mean, let's make some decisions here. Let's make some business decisions. Hopefully, uh, we'll win the game. But it's not a must-win game. We'll basically concede the game as long as we rest our arms and rest our top guys. That's exactly how they looked at this game. So they put Stanton in the outfield, which people were clamoring for, and they put Carpenter at DH, which people were also clamoring for until Carpenter did what he did tonight, struck out four times, and now Yankee fans are like, oh, we don't want Carpenter anymore, which, by the way, this is why Yankee fans are not the manager of the New York Yankees. They're fans, because right before the game, it's, oh my god, yes, we got Carpenter. After the game, it's like, oh no, Carpenter struck out four times, and you could go through every Yankee fan's timeline on Twitter right now, and you could look at them saying, my starting DH or my starting left fielder for the championship series has to be Matt Carpenter, has to be Matt Carpenter, and then, of course, Matt Carpenter ultimately... Uh, strikes out four times and now they're saying TFA Matt Carpenter so you can't keep up with these fans right but the Yankees and Boone in particular treated this game like it wasn't a must-win game it was a game that eh, we'd like to win if we can so you put Kiner for Lafa back at shortstop he makes more mistakes he strikes out on a pitch in the ninth inning that was nine yards outside the strike zone and then you never bring in your high leverage guys so Lindsay Adler wrote a funny tweet about this after the game she writes well and I'll, I'll pull up the exact tweet Yankees lost to the Astros 4-2 the high leverage relievers are all rested for tomorrow, at least. It's kind of how the Yankees feel. It's kind of how you felt Aaron Boone was going to justify losing this game, where it was like, yeah, we lost this game, but hey, at least the high leverage guys are rested for tomorrow. Now, all that said, it wasn't even about the high leverage guys. The Yankees struck out 17 times in this game. You cannot strike out 17 times in a game. In a nine-inning game, there are 27 outs. You can't strike out 17 times and expect to lose the game. Now, seven of those strikeouts came from the batters batting fifth and sixth in the order, which were Donaldson and Carpenter, and Sweeney Murdy pointed this out, that four of those seven strikeouts were with runners in scoring position. The Yankees only had four at-bats in the entire game with Yankees and runners in scoring position. So spin zone, you want a positive spin on it? It's not going to happen again, and this is exactly what I started the podcast with. Is it disappointing in the moment? Yes. But it's not going to happen again where the Yankees strike out four times, all four times that they have at-bats with runners in scoring position. It just won't happen again. They had rallies. They had guys on the ropes, whether it was in the eighth inning, whether it was Verlander earlier in the game. And their five and six hitters didn't come through. So what does that tell you? They'll make some changes. They'll make some adjustment adjustments. They're getting runners on base. And this is exactly what I said. The Yankees had opportunities on offense tonight. They may not get that many opportunities in a game down the road, but they definitely won't squander that many opportunities again. And I truly believe that. Look, Stanton hasn't woken up yet in this series. It's one game, but he hasn't woken up yet in this series. Judge has done nothing in this series and really not much at all in these playoffs. Gleyber Torres hasn't done anything, especially tonight and not yet in this series. It's a long, long series. We still have our best three pitchers who haven't pitched yet in this series, and we haven't even had our best relievers pitch yet in this series. The Yankees' best players haven't played yet in this series. So, look... Kiner Falefa, I get it. He shouldn't be in the game. I think tomorrow, if you look at a lineup, I think Oswald has to be at shortstop. I think Cabrera has to be in left field because clearly Carpenter isn't ready. And I asked uh, Brian Hoke, or I actually just asked the general public, if you take Cabrera off the lineup, what is that? what are the ramifications of that? Maybe you bring in DJ LeMay, who see maybe he's more ready than Matt Carpenter is at this point. And Brian Hoke said that, sure, you can take Carpenter off the roster and say he's hurt. But then the only catch is that Carpenter would not only be not available for the rest of this round, he wouldn't be available for the World Series either. So if LeMay, who's not ready, and you brought him back, and then you're kind of stuck with LeMay at that point, unless you think that maybe Ben Benintendi, you keep kicking it further down the line to see who's ready next. But, like I said, I don't think they'll squander this many opportunities. Uh, my friend pointed it out to me that it seemed like they were taking a lot of first pitches, which we know the Yankees do. They are very patient hitters. It looks like the game plan for the Astros pitchers was attack that weakness. The strike zone was all over the place, so it was hard to know what was a ball and strike anyway if you were the Yankee hitters. 
But they took a lot of strikes, got into a lot of two-strike counts, and then from there, it's hard to hit in two-strike counts, and maybe that's why they struck out a lot, and when they had contact, they didn't make good contact. So there's that. I think the approach needs to change a little bit, but I'd like to see Donaldson move down in the lineup a little bit, Kiner Falefa out of the lineup. Maybe you put Peraza at shortstop, and you put Cabrera in left field. But there's moves to be made is the point. There's stuff that can happen in this series, and even if you go down 2-0, at the, on the road, it's not a series till the home team loses a game. And the home team hasn't lost a game yet. And guess what? Tonight, on Thursday night, the Yankees still can't be the home team to lose a game. So we'll see what happens. Again, Montas, not good. A lot of not good for the Yankees in this first game. But it's a first game. Now, one thing that I loved coming into this game, um, and I saw it before the game and definitely after this game, after losing game one, the Yankees have been underdogs throughout this entire postseason. And the MLB posted their power rankings or whatever for the playoffs. And it goes Houston, San Diego, Phillies, and Yankees. It's the realigned power rankings after or going into the championship series games. And I said, just the way I like it, still the underdog. And I talked about this before the playoffs started. The Yankees went into the playoffs as an underdog. How often do we get to say that about the Yankees over the last few years, that they were going to be an underdog? The Yankees were a team that was on pace to win 120 games at some point this season. And I talk about this all the time, how expectations are a sliding scale and expectations change as times change so like I said with the New York Rangers for example yes we didn't expect them to go far in the playoffs and especially if you would have told me that they were going to come back from down 3-1 to Pittsburgh and win that series and they were going to beat Carolina yeah I would have been happy with that if you would have told me that maybe in February that they were going to go to the conference finals but when you're up 2-0 in the conference finals with a 2-0 lead on the road in game three yeah you'd like to close out that series and win it The same thing goes for the Yankees. The expectations before the season coming off last season were not really high, especially with the moves or lack thereof that they made in the offseason. Kind of for Leffa and Donaldson and Trevino were not the answers Yankee fans were hoping for at shortstop, third base, and catcher. The pitching moves that they made or didn't make were not what the Yankees were hoping for. And then the Yankees are on pace to win 120 games and all is good. And now the expectation is World Series are bust. And then the expectation drops again, where the Yankees all of a sudden are in a free fall and nothing can stop them. They obviously get Matt Carpenter, who helped them for a while. They get Harrison Bader, which he didn't even play for them, and the Jordan Montgomery and everything that happened there. They obviously get Andrew Benintendi, and he gets hurt immediately, and Frankie Montas is terrible for them. So now the sky is falling, and you don't even expect the Yankees to make it out of a first round of the playoffs if they do make the playoffs. They write the ship in September, October, it goes well, and then you're up one game in the division series. Now the expectation is, well, you better beat Cleveland, right? You have to beat Cleveland. You're a much better team than them. You have home field advantage, all those things. And then you blow games two and three, and now the expectation is, well, they're going to lose to Cleveland. So the party in the streets after they beat Cleveland is kind of makes sense because we were able to beat Cleveland. Well, why are you guys partying this hard? You were expected to beat Cleveland. Well, no, not when we were down 2-1. The way we went down 2-1, I don't think at that point anyone expected us to really come back and beat Cleveland. And now you come and you play the championship series. And like I said, if you would have told me before the season started that they were going to make the ALCS again against Houston, I would have told you, you know what, I'll take it. Another crack at the Astros, a third third time's a charm, maybe we'll beat them. Then in the middle of the season when you were winning 120 games, all of a sudden it was, yeah, we better beat the Astros. We're way better than the Astros. We're a team that's one of the greatest teams in baseball history. Then as they were faltering throughout the season, it's like, well, this team can never beat the Astros. I think now we stand somewhere in between. And after one game, when the Yankees are ranked fourth out of the four teams in the playoffs, according to MLB, that the Yankees are the fourth best team out of the fourth teams in the playoffs. You know what? I don't mind. Let's be the underdogs. But the expectations for me don't stay, don't change. Third time's a charm. You have to beat Houston. And like I said, do I expect it to happen? No. But I'm, I'm riding with my guys. I trust the Yankees. I love the Yankees. And I hope they could somehow come out with that underdog mentality. That's what we loved about the Yankees in 2017. Maybe that's all this team needed. 2018, 2019, 2020, 2021, when they were expected to win games and expected to go far, all of a sudden, those teams faltered. But we needed that underdog mentality that we had back in 2017. You counting Carpenter out. After the game, he didn't look deterred. He was like, yeah, I struck out four times. I'm 0 for 6 with six strikeouts so far in the playoffs. So what? No biggie, kind of. Almost, that's what he said. He's like, at least I'm getting to see a lot of pitches. I'll be back on track. (laughs) So Matt Carpenter, he's not counting himself out. The Yankees aren't counting themselves out. You can bet on that. And I think there's still a lot of games left to be played in this series. And hopefully they'll come back and make this a series and maybe even win it. Yankees in five. Let's do it. I'll come back after tonight's game, Thursday night, um, and talk more about the Yankees. I do want to get into the other playoff teams as well, but I do want to tell 
A quick story. I'm also going to talk about Thursday Night Football. I didn't even recap the football that we had this week. Glorious football that we had this week with my New York Jets and everything that happened in that game. And going off the cuff, like I said, I've kind of been a little bit all over the place. So if you'd enjoyed it, uh, let me know. If you like when I'm more structured, and it doesn't seem structured because I do take a lot of notes and I do put a lot of time and effort into each episode, so that sounds like it's off the cuff and natural, even when I am uh, just recording with a lot of notes. (laughs) Um, But if you're watching this video, I'm wearing this sweatshirt. uh, It says October's for the Bronx. Now, unfortunately, in games that I've worn this sweatshirt, which were the game on Friday where they lost in the extra innings in Game 2 of the Division Series, and the game tonight on Wednesday night, where they lost game one of the championship series. The Yankees are 0-2 in games that I wear that sweatshirt. But one of the things that I love about sports is what happened to me in the airport today. So I was wearing this sweatshirt. October is for the Bronx is what it says. It's a Barstool Sports sweatshirt. Um, It's a sweatshirt that I kind of, I think I saw it first in 2018, maybe in the Barstool store, and thought about getting it at the time, and then kept forgetting or pushing it off. And every time when I went to go look for it during the playoffs, they were always sold out because that's when they were hot. Um... And then this year, I saw that they were available uh, when uh, back a couple. It was before the playoffs. It was in September when Barstool did their Merchapalooza, which was kind of like this merch contest where they had ten percent off uh, if you use certain guys' code. Um, not the point. The point is, I bought the sweatshirt. I got the sweatshirt. It was a sweatshirt that I was looking for for a while. It says October is for the Bronx. It's a cool sweatshirt. I like it. Um, and so that's when I bought it. Um, and I was wearing it. I wore it twice already so far. The two times I wore it, the Yankees lost, like I mentioned. But I was wearing it in the airport for my flight because I did have a flight home from Detroit. It was a flight from Detroit to Baltimore. So not a lot of New Yorkers on the Detroit to Baltimore flight, uh, as you can imagine. And I see a guy wearing a New York Rangers uh, hoodie at the gate. But I'm not going to be one of those people who like to be about my age, maybe a little bit younger. Maybe if I get his attention, I'll like, kind of like motion to his hoodie and like give him a thumbs up or nod so that he knows I like your hoodie. But I'm not going to be one of those people who goes over to him and starts talking to him about his hoodie and about the Rangers I'm just not that guy. I love to talk about sports. I'll talk to sports with anyone. Um, but I'm more of a spoken-spoken-to type of person. Um, and so that's how I feel about approaching people, especially in an airport, where if you're, if I'm in an airport, it's the same as being in a barber chair. It's spoke, speak if spoken to. Same as being in an Uber. I don't want to have a lengthy, extended conversation. But if you start a conversation with me, I'll probably talk back. Uh, that's kind of how I feel about it. So I'm not going to go over to some random kid in the airport and start talking to him about the New York Rangers. Maybe he's not even such a big fan, and then he's just going to BS me and say, yeah, 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 yes, talk about the Rangers a little bit, but not really know that much about the Rangers, and I'm putting him in a weird spot where he doesn't want to be part of that conversation. Neither do I. But on this particular flight, I was in boarding group C. And I think my number was 44. So it was at the point where they're like, sit down wherever because this flight is fully booked. And wherever you get a seat, that's where you're going to need to sit. The first open seat you find, you're going to need to sit there because you're not getting any other seat. So I walk towards the back of the flight. And the first open seat I see is a middle seat between two probably larger men. One of them is an older gentleman and the other one, a really large guy. And Nothing against them, but if you're in a middle seat and I'm a pretty big dude myself and you're between two other large men, it's not a very comfortable ride, but it's a short flight. And like I said, there were not very many options. It's the first open seat I saw. It was relatively close to the front of the plane and it was an exit row. So I decide, you know what? I'll throw my bag up on top and I'll make it work for the next hour and a bit on this flight. Now, I kind of pointed towards the seat before I sat down, just before I put my bag up, just kind of pointed at the guy sitting in the aisle, an older gentleman to see, hey, is that seat available? He nods at me and he smiles at me, which was nice of him. And I put the bag up. Now, when I get to the seat, he's still standing uh, to let me in and he's still smiling at me. So I kind of look back at him and I smile back. I'm like, hey, what's up? And he goes, I love that sweatshirt. I got to get one of those sweatshirts. And he said, well, I'm from the Bronx and I'm a huge Yankee fan. He's like, I, I have never seen that sweatshirt before. I don't see it in the Yankee store. I was like, well, it's not a Yankee sweatshirt. It, if you look at it, it doesn't even have any Yankee branding on it. And he's like, I didn't even notice it didn't have any Yankee branding on it because when I think Bronx, I think crime and Yankees, which is kind of funny that he said that. But that is how he started the conversation with me. And then we ended up talking the entire flight. At some point, I was looking to see if I could throw my headphones on, maybe relax a little bit, listen to some music. But we ended up talking about sports. He's a huge Rangers fan. Turns out the kid that I saw at the gate was his son. He was sitting next to us in the other aisle. Um, 
wearing his Rangers jersey. He's showing me pictures. He was at the Rangers game a couple days ago. He was at the Rangers playoff games down in Tampa where he lives. He's a huge Yankee fan, originally from the Bronx, then from Long Island. So big Yankee fan, obviously. Um, And we talked for a while about the Yankees. It was at the point where I think we were still taking off where I saw him just put his AirPods away and I realized, yeah, we're going to be talking sports this entire flight. And then we ended up talking because after the flight, I was telling my wife this story and she's like, wow, you could talk sports with anyone. And you only talk sports with them. And I was like, well, no, he's a doctor. And I was telling him what he does and why he's traveling and why he was going from Baltimore to uh, or I guess from Detroit to Baltimore. And all of a sudden I realized that I was talking to this guy more than just sports. It kind of sports just opens the door, but it brings people together. It was just a conversation starter. He looked at my sweatshirt and he was like, nice sweatshirt. He's a Yankee fan. I'm a Yankee fan. Let's talk Yankees. And then we ended up talking other things. We talked about life and I don't know, maybe he didn't want to talk the entire time. Maybe he was just being nice, but we we really had a nice time. It felt like, and I'll probably never see him again, but shout out to that guy um, who I just sat next to on, on the flight. Um, really just good, nice guy and just fun to see people like that uh and people coming together and i love that sports can do that and just a sweatshirt this boss uh barstool sweatshirt uh things that barstool is not good for by the way because it was good for that sweatshirt i think it was good for that story um but one thing it's not good for is as i'm watching these games and this is because of listening to part of my take and i can't i'm so mad at myself and maybe my whole positive take on the yankees so far is because of this i can't tell i'm trying to have honest and just logical but genuine and uh, I guess original sports thoughts and sports opinions when I listen to a game because I know I'm going to have to talk about it afterwards and yet every single time I have an opinion in my head I counter it with a spin zone which is what they call it on part in my take where every time they have a take they'll be like well spin zone there's and they try and spin a positive Um, so for example during uh, before the game when the lineup came out I said this is awful. How do you put Peraza on the lineup and still not start or put him on the roster and still not start him? You're still starting Kyan Falefa. And I go, well, spin zone, maybe they wanted someone coming off the bench. And that's why they kept Cabrera out of the lineup because they wanted a capable bat coming off the bench. And with Carpenter starting, he would be the capable bat coming off the bench. During the game, when uh, I guess Justin Verlander had a one, two, three really quick sixth inning I was like well spin zone maybe that was good for the Yankees because now maybe they'll bring him back out for the seventh he'll start the seventh he falters a little bit and then I realized that big cat from Barstool Dan Katz is ruining my brain and I'm not watching sports the way I want to watch sports anymore because I'm constantly trying to spin a positive out of every situation so maybe when I said all these positive things about the Yankees uh, I was wrong but still I do like to believe that there's a lot of time left. There's a lot of game left. I'll be at game five if the Yankees win a game in this series, which, please, God, I hope they win a game in this series. And like I said, it's kind of funny with game five because I tweeted this out also. Most Yankee fans want to go to game four on Sunday because it's a Sunday evening. It's perfect time for anyone, right? Sunday evening in the Bronx, and it's actually cheaper than the game five tickets. But I can't go, obviously, because I work football Sundays here at the fan, and then I can only go on Monday, which Monday in the afternoon, no one can go because it's a work day, but that works out for me. So now I'm looking for people to go. So if you're listening to this, you want to go to a Yankee American League Championship game series uh, or American League Championship series game on Monday at Yankee Stadium at 4 p.m. Hit me up. Let me know. Uh, I'm looking for someone to go. I, I found a couple of prospects. So, But if you're listening right now and you want to go, let me know. Text me. Shoot me a text, and I will definitely go to that game. I'm warning you. I'm not paying for your ticket, but uh, it's it's not cheap. I did um, only go to two Yankee games this year at Yankee Stadium, so I was kind of thinking that like I'm going to save up for the playoffs, and here we are. All right, if we go around the league real quick in the National League Championship Series, obviously... Uh, the series is tied at one between San Diego and the Phillies. They're two teams that are both wildcard teams, but they're two teams that if we talked about it, I told you that anything can happen when you're playing against a team that is in your division. So the Mariners did not take advantage. They had an opportunity. They had Verlander on the ropes in game one. They had an opportunity to win game two. And I told you they were likely going to get swept, although the 18 inning game at home was a crazy game and it's great a classic leave it to seattle they get their first playoff game at home in forever and that's the game they get at home an 18 nothing one or an 18 inning one nothing game that they lose just an absolute wild i can't imagine anyone being there and for the dodgers an appropriate maybe ending to clayton kershaw's career as a dodger uh if you know me you know and if you listen to this podcast, you know I'm a huge Aaron Rodgers stan, and I've been one forever, and we'll get to that a little bit later, but I'm a huge Clayton Kershaw stan. I've been a Clayton Kershaw fan and stan my entire life. I love him. He was one of my favorite pitchers growing up. Um, I guess I was a little bit older already. I wasn't really growing up, but it was you know my teenage years and a little bit later and into my 20s. Um, 
and he's one of my favorite pitchers. I met him actually in the playoffs a couple of years ago where I sat on top of the dugout in 2019 at the Dodgers Nationals playoff game. Um, and I'm a huge, huge Clayton Kershaw fan, and it's always bothered me that he's struggled, quote-unquote, in the playoffs. And again, he had another start where, you know, it's not great, it's it's not terrible, but it's five innings, three runs, something like that, where it's just not enough. And if there's a start that defines his career as a Dodger in the playoffs, it would be that start. And the Dodgers again get knocked out. And again, now they have a ton of cap space. They have a ton of, or not really cap space, but they have a ton of payroll opening up with him coming off the books and a couple other guys coming off the books. They might make a huge run at Judge because where to from here? I predicted this 111 wins. I didn't think they would lose to in the division series to the San Diego Padres, a team that they never lose to. But like I said, another 111 win season that leaves them just after the season wondering what what are we here for? What is going on? How come we can't get over the hump? And uh, there may be big changes coming in LA because to me, even if you win 111 games in the regular season, it's how wild Major League Baseball playoffs are. But it's just not enough. At the end of the day, you have to come through when it's biggest. And the Phillies, they did that. They beat Atlanta and they crushed Atlanta. And I thought Atlanta, there was, it was a little bit of a letdown series for Atlanta. I did mention that after the way they won. And you have Wheeler and you have uh, Nola if you are the Phillies. That is a huge X factor in any series they're going to be in, especially the way Wheeler pitched. And I don't understand taking him out of the game in game one the way they did. But obviously... Two solo shots is all it takes. And that was another thing I talked about with the guy on the plane, uh, the guy I sat next to. I was like, you know, all everyone wants to talk about is small ball, small ball, small ball. And then every one run that's been scored in the playoffs so far has been via the home runs. Um, obviously not the first run of the Yankees game, uh, but all the other runs in the Yankee game were scored by home runs. And of course, the 2 nothing, uh win that the Phillies had in game one were both solo shots. Um, but just kind of you know, how it goes in the playoffs. It's not about not hitting home runs, it's about hitting the more timely home runs. And you do have to come through with clutch hits uh, once in a while, but it's who hits more home runs. And the Yankees bats have gone cold, and I don't think the Yankees bats will continue to be cold, and that's kind of why I'm confident that the Yankees will continue uh, on their run in the playoffs and they'll continue to do well. But if you look over at the other side of the bracket, 1-1 heading back to Philly, exactly where you want to be if you're the Phillies. And boy, would I love a 2009 rematch. I think I'm going to wear my 2009 uh, Yankee sweatshirt tomorrow, uh, maybe bring a little good luck to the Yankees. So that's all I'm going to talk about for baseball players. I'm going to come back with a Thursday night preview, talk a little bit of NFL from this past week, and then we're going to wrap it up for this episode. I'll be back again probably tomorrow night or Friday morning, I guess, to talk about game two and uh, talk about Thursday night football and preview the Sunday games and all that. So stick around. I just did a quick search of the web. I was scrolling Twitter. I took a quick break just to gather my thoughts. Like I said, working off the cuff this episode, you've heard me say that a couple times in the episode. I don't want to say things too many times and it feels like I'm making, ex- I don't even know what I'd be making an excuse for. I think this episode's probably fantastic. <laughs> um, but like I said, uh, I just kind of took a quick break and I was searching, scrolling through Twitter and I saw a video of Jameson Tyone riding a high noon uh, buggy and bike, I guess, bike and buggy. I don't know. It's kind of like a horse and buggy just with a bike um, out of the ballpark in Houston. I feel like this Yankee team right now is confident. You saw them smiling. Some people were upset that they were smiling and laughing um, after the game. To me, it's like, yeah, of course they're smiling and laughing after the game. Why shouldn't they be? This is awesome. They're fine. Nothing happened. Um, Again, I think this team is so confident right now. I don't know why I am so rationally confident in this Yankee team. I've talked about it. The bats are quiet. Talk about it for like 40 minutes already, so I don't even need to talk about it anymore. But uh, again, Isaiah kind of Falefa needs to be gone, and, and it sucks. But unfortunately, he hasn't performed, and it feels like enough is enough. Um, but other than that, I don't know. Confident. I, I can't tell you why. Just confident right now. And Yankees in five. Let's go. The basketball season kicked off for my Knicks tonight. Um, and like I said, I said this on last episode, it just doesn't feel like I'm not ready for basketball season. I haven't been ready for hockey season, although I've been watching and the Rangers have been fantastic to watch, really fun to watch. Uh, if you are a Rangers fan, they look really good. So there's that. That's fun. They're three and one so far. And Zabanajet is off to a hot start. Everyone else looks good. Panarin looks great. Everyone looks great. Igor looks fantastic. He gives up four goals in a game, but 
that game happens to be the Rangers scored six. So doesn't matter in that shot by Artem Panarin. He just keeps proving that when he decides to shoot, once in a while when he decides to shoot, he is unstoppable um, shooting on the on the ice. His, his shot is unbelievable. Um, but the Knicks, their season started tonight at Mass or on the road in Memphis against the Memphis Grizzlies and John Morant, obviously, who will always be linked to RJ Barrett. And I don't know. The Knicks, they lost in overtime. I didn't really watch it, if I'm being honest, because I was watching the Yankee game and because I had just gotten off the flight, I didn't have time to set up my TV and my laptop and my iPad and everything the way I would have liked to have had it set up where I could watch everything at once. But I'll go back. I'll watch the game. Big fan. So maybe I'll break it down a little bit later. Um, Bill Simmons had one of the funniest tweets. And maybe I could find it. Bill Simmons was basically something to the uh, to the effect of, Flagrant fouls are back, stupid penalties are back, endless replays are back, flops are back, the NBA is fully back, something like that. And he loves the NBA. This is a guy who really loves the NBA. When he was saying that, he was being dead serious. Um, but just kind of how it is, uh, the NBA has a certain reputation, and it's been like that. And so, you know, he said, fake fights, endless replays, and dopey technicals. The NBA is back. That's the exact quote, quote the exact tweet from Bill Simmons. I think that's funny. Um, funny and accurate. That's the goal. If you're uh, Bill Simmons, anyway, uh, the Nets did lose tonight, but the Knicks lose uh, on the road in Memphis in overtime. They force overtime with a great game by Cam Reddish. Overreaction. I don't think Cam Reddish is going to have a great season just because he had a good game. Obviously, uh, Quentin Grimes doesn't play. Obviously, R.J. Barrett goes, I think, three for eighteen from the field, and that was bad. So all the things told, like all things considered. The fact that they were in this game, they forced overtime. Also, if you look at, um, I think it was Emmanuel quickly didn't make a single shot in this game. So all things considered, I think this is exactly what you want to see. You want to see this team have some kind of growth, have some kind of grit. Um, they showed some fight. It was fun. Um, it was a good game. Like I said, I didn't watch it yet. But from what I could tell, they showed fight in this game. They came back. They tied it. They sent it to overtime. They ultimately lose to a great player on the road um, in John Morant in overtime. Um but with R.J. Barrett struggling, with everything that happened in this game, I think Jalen Brunson already making his effect on this team where it seems like just everyone, their roles on this team are more defined and it's easier. And I think our, Julius Randle, if there's ever a time for Julius Randle to have a comeback season, it's going to be this season. And you saw it tonight. I think maybe he was 9 for 16 from the field or something like that where he's actually going to not have to do too much. He's not going to be sitting dribbling the ball a thousand times because guess what? He has a real point guard on his team. He has other players around him and there's going to be more reliance on the young guys to contribute more and that takes more off his plate. So not only are we going to try to going to try and develop the young guys, but I think we're going to get the best version and the most out of Julius Randle if he doesn't have as much on his plate as he had in the past. So that's all the Knicks basketball I'm going to talk about because like I said, didn't see the game. To the Jets and the NFL, um, and I kind of just have this in front of me. I have the list of the games and who I picked in the league. I did pick New England. I want to see if my system worked because, like I mentioned uh, before, I didn't pick the games on the podcast, but I still pick the games anyway. But being that it's already Wednesday or Thursday, if you're listening to this, I'm not going to go through all the games right now. I will talk about the Jets and the Giants because, like I said, the Giants maybe only had a few losses in their schedule after the way they started their season. And I think one of those losses turned out to be a win as they do beat the Baltimore Ravens. I did pick the Giants before the game and I talked about it while I picked them to cover the four and a half. I talked about how this Ravens team has fallen apart every week in the fourth quarter. Now the Giants are five and one. At what point do you take a team seriously? And you could talk about how, oh, this is the worst, least talented five and one team you've ever seen. But at some point, these are NFL guys. They start to believe. And I don't think the league, especially the NFC, is super deep this year. I don't think there's a team out there with the way the Packers have faltered, with the way the Bucks have looked, with the way San Francisco has looked, who's the team that's going to blow you away in the NFC outside of Philly, who's in their own division, Dallas, who's in their own division, which is amazing. And we talked about that, how the AFC East has all of a sudden become the powerhouse of the NFL and Minnesota. Do you trust Minnesota? Do you trust Kirk Cousins? Those are the teams you're scared of right now. If you're in the NFC, where are the Rams at? They're not been very good at all. Arizona? Mm, not really. Who are the teams you're scared of, especially in the NFC? The Giants could be one of the best teams in the NFC this season. Yeah, it's early. Yeah, it's 5-1. and one. Yeah, the roster is not the most talented. But like I said, they're the most prepared team in the league going into every game. They might have the best coaching staff in the league. Brian Dable has, may have already won himself the coach of the year. And so right now, this Giants team is 
riding high. And if I'd be if I'm the Giants, I'd be riding high too. Now I did want to uh, talk about one point before I get to the Jets because the Jets this week are going to be matched up against Denver. And the Jets, by the way, are underdogs again. Yep, that's right. The Jets were underdog in six weeks so far to start the season, and they're four and two. I don't mind. I said it with the Yankees. I'll say it with the Jets. Keep sleeping on us. But this is a team with the Denver Broncos that, yeah, for one quarter, Russell Wilson looked really good. And I just saw a really funny tweet, uh, so I do want to pull it up, about Russell Wilson. And this is just a classic Russell Wilson tweet because this is what he says. He just says weird things that don't make sense. He said, I heal quick. It's Wolverine blood or something when Russell Wilson talked about his hamstring injury. He just says weird things that don't make any sense. And when I talked last episode about Kyle Brandt and the rant or the little rant that I played, and you could go back and listen, episode 102, if you want to hear uh, what I said about Kyle Brandt um, and what he said about Russell Wilson. When I talked about that, I forgot to mention the main point. Kyle Brandt is a guy who works for the NFL. He works for NFL Network. It's their network. He has to go now face other teams. He has sources in the league. He has players that he's friends with. He said this and wasn't afraid of the retribution. He said this knowing he may have to face Russell Wilson. He said this knowing that there are people around the league who are watching it and people that he has relationships with that he has to upkeep that he's nervous about. If he said this, he must truly believe it. Otherwise, people will cut you off if you think you're a snake like that. You're like, you're going to go on TV and do that. If people around the league didn't feel this way also about Russell Wilson, he would not have gone out on national TV, that's the NFL's own network, and said what he said. I truly believe that. And if Kyle Brandt was willing to say that, I, I, I got to believe it. And yet still, I guess Russell Wilson is talented enough and what he's shown us in the past, and I guess the defense, they're only allowing 16 points a game, is talented enough that they're still getting points at home against the Jets and keep sleeping on us. The Packers, they were heavy favorites. After losing on the road or in London to the Giants, the Jets go in there and look, there are still the same things that are going to bother me. If you decide to kick a field goal with 30 seconds left instead of going for it, and then you find yourself getting shoved down your throat because you're playing a soft D in the middle of the field and all of a sudden it's being shoved right at you and Rodgers is kicking a field goal to tie it going to the half, yeah, it's going to bother me. I'm going to complain about that, but... With everything that I complain about, this team has a core. This team is confident. I love um, Brees Hall. Before, they do like this thing. We're coming out of the tunnel in training camp, or not training camp, but practice every week. The Instagram team will take videos of the Jets running out to the practice field, the different Jets players. And every week, Brees Hall just doesn't say anything. Everyone has little catchphrases. Michael Carter has like a, a an inspirational quote that he'll say. Some guys will be like, yeah, let's go. Some guys will say week six. Some guy, Whatever they say, they'll say whatever they say coming out of uh, the, the practice facility going to the practice field. Brees Hall, every time, just points at the Jets logo that's on the side of the building. He says, I don't have anything to say. It's right there. And there's a certain belief around this team, and it's Joe Douglas has built a certain belief around this team that this team is really good and really competitive. And you know what Joe Douglas did? And a lot of people talk about the draft picks that he missed, and people talked about that before this season. This year, you realize that he accumulated so many draft picks, whether it was with the Sam Darnold trade, the Jamal Adams trade, he accumulated enough draft picks to make mistakes. He knew you're going to make mistakes in the draft, and the guys you can't mess up on are really the quarterback. And the jury's still out. Trust me. They turned Zach Wilson essentially into... Mark Sanchez in his first and second year. That's what they turned him into in that game in Green Bay. Bad weather, threw 18 times, only had to make 10 completions, 110 yards, boom, boom, boom. The rest of the time we run the ball and the defense wins the game. But that's not the worst thing in the world. Get easy wins. Build confidence. And by the way, that's how a player becomes a great player because you're building confidence, you're getting easy wins for him. I'm sure they'll open up the playbook for him, but they didn't have to. The way Brees Hall's running it, the way they run it on the end around, the smart plays, the savvy plays that they're making, getting him out of the pocket, making it easy for him. It's what the Packers aren't doing. The Packers are just putting Aaron Rodgers in shotgun in every situation and making him throw to, you know, B and C level receivers, if not worse. So I think part of that is Aaron Rodgers' arrogance, and I've talked about that on this podcast, and I think that's what's holding the, the Packers back more than anything. But if you look at the Jets right now, they're making it easy for their young quarterback. The Packers, they're not relying on Aaron Jones. They're not putting the ball in his hands. They're not throwing screenplays. They're not moving the pocket for Rodgers. And he says we need to simplify things. Maybe just hand the ball off a little bit more to your top running back who's maybe the number one running back or one of the best running backs in the league. 
But the Jets, you hand it off to Hall, you hand it off to Carter, you run end arounds with whether it's with uh, Moore, whether it's Garrett Wilson, whether it's Braxton Berrios, it doesn't matter. You're running smart plays, and the defense, that front four, is finally getting pressure with four without having to blitz. And it's unbelievable because you're playing one-on-one in coverage every time with Sauce Gardner. Your two corners with Reed and Gardner are both lockdown corners on the outside. Sauce, like we haven't seen on the Jets since Darrell Revis, since prime Darrell Revis. Yeah, we haven't seen a corner this good, and he's been the number one cover corner in the NFL by far this year. That's overshadowing what Reed has done on the other side because he's been really good. You have Reed on the other side. You have the guys up front getting pressure. Quinnen Williams is having as good a season as a defensive tackle has had. Other, not named Aaron Donald in recent memory. He can tr- completely control the game. He wins the Defensive Player of the Week in the AFC. And it's great that it's recognized that he won the Defensive Player of the Week because it wasn't just the two sacks. It wasn't just the block punt. If, as if that wasn't enough, he was in Aaron Rodgers' face forcing things all day. He was tackling running backs in the backfield. He was making things impossible for that Packers offense to get them going. And there's a certain swagger about this team. And that's what you talk about with Robert Sala, that he brings that swagger. He brings that energy. So whether he's making mistakes as a head coach and hopefully he can learn on the job and he can become better as a, as a game manager and making in-game decisions... But overall, this team is a team with confidence. And like I said, just when you think you have it and you can complain all you want and you can make all these excuses and just when you think you have it with the Jets, that's when they usually falter. Finally, you believe. A lot of people probably believe. A lot of people will be picking them. Last two weeks, no one picked them. This week against Denver, a team that hasn't looked good and has played in prime time so many times, a lot of people will probably be picking the Jets. That's when the Jets falter. But I'm not going to worry about that right now. I'm not going to worry about the mistakes that they're going to make. Yeah, I still want them to win every game. Yeah, I still want them to compete. I still think that there's a legitimate chance they can make the playoffs because like I talked about with the Giants and the NFC, I don't think the AFC is all that strong either. Actually, the Jets are in also probably the strongest division in the AFC. But all that said, just enjoy the ride. And it was Rich Eisen who said that on his show. I like Rich Eisen. He's a really, really talented um, broadcaster, and I've always liked him. He obviously has his show, The Rich Eisen Show, and he's also on the NFL Network. Um, And Rich Eisen is a huge Jets fan. And he said on his show, instead of worrying about all these things and thinking about all these things, just let all that just fall away and just worry about enjoying what's happening right now because when was the last time we were able to enjoy and I said this after the Jets won they're four and two the last time they were two games over 500 was the 2015 season with Ryan Fitzpatrick at the end of that year when they ended the season 10 and 6 guess what when the Jets ended the season 10 and 6 it was a terrible feeling because they lost in Buffalo and they didn't make the playoffs and that team was an older team that you knew a lot of those guys weren't coming back you had magic in a bottle with Brandon Marshall with Eric Decker with Ryan Fitzpatrick. This is a totally different team. This is a team that has really good players who are really young all over the place. Whether it's Sauce Gardner, whether it's Elijah Vera Tucker, who I didn't even talk about, is incredible. Whether it's the young guys up front on the defense. Whether it's Brees Hall and Michael Carter and Elijah Moore and Garrett Wilson. Any of those guys, all those guys are really, really talented. All those guys are exceptionally capable. And oh, by the way, we're not dealing with an old quarterback who's over the hill, who's a journeyman. We're dealing with a quarterback who, yeah, maybe we still don't know what he is, but he's in his second year and he's capable of being a franchise quarterback. We've seen that from the talent of anything we know about this quarterback is that he has the talent to be a franchise quarterback in Zach Wilson. So if there's ever a time to be confident about a team and to just sit back and Yes, there will be growing pains. Yes, they're going to lose disappointing games. There's going to be things that happen throughout this season that maybe we don't love as a franchise, as an organization, whatever it may be, whatever may be the case. But guess what? If there's a time to just sit back and enjoy and enjoy the ride and not worry about all those things, it's right now because what this Jets team has done is special and I can't wait to see what else they do. Um, I'm really excited about the Jets. And Sunday was just another, I mean, going into Lambeau and beating the Packers in Lambeau is as exciting of an occurrence we've seen uh, from the Jets in a really, really, really long time. All right, the Saints are playing the Cardinals, and if I had to guess the line, because this is how I'm betting games these days, I would have to guess that the Cardinals are favored at home against the Saints. I'm going to say the Cardinals are favored on Thursday Night Football tonight by four and a half. So what we do is we go to FanDuel, because I haven't looked at the line yet, and that's the point of this, and we look up the line for Thursday night football. Let's find it. Thursday night football. The Cardinals are favored by minus two. So I thought it would be minus four and a half. So that means I take the Cardinals. That's my system. The over under is 44. And if you know me, 
Just bet the under. It's Thursday night football, and you'll likely win. You'll likely hit that. So all that said, uh, that's the episode. I'll be back, like I said, with more uh, after the Yankees game two tonight in Houston. Let's go Severino. Let's go offense. Let's get some runs going. I'm confident. The Jets uh, will talk more about their upcoming game and more about the week coming up in the NFL. Also, uh, everything that's going on. And we'll recap what will likely be a boring Thursday night football game yet again. All that and more coming up later. uh, So stay tuned for that. Until next time, like, subscribe. If you love the podcast, share it. Tell me you love it. I appreciate it. Appreciate everyone. Go to BetterHelp. Use my name, R-A-M-I, for uh, 10% off your first month of online therapy. Of course, uh, help the podcast out. I have a whole bunch of fun stuff coming. Um, And uh, until next time, see you guys. Thanks for listening. You were the best nights of my life. You got the light that always shines. I miss the way that you move and the way I get high When you take me to your eyes Like I'm standing in the sky I see your subway cars and your old graffiti I breathe your air when I land in another city I'll be that one that's got you printed on my bones Yeah, you're all I know Everywhere I go Change it up, oh, oh, oh. always on my own. I'm still New York. You're the only oh, oh, oh. that I'll ever know. Oh, oh. My concrete walls. I'm still New York. I'm still New York. Ooh. Oh, I'm still New York. Yeah. I wanna drive down. See the birds flying on the high line With the sidewalks burning We pray for rain in July I want the Yankees 99 yeah. And the Knicks on a sold out night When the curtains close And the Broadway streets are alive hey. I need your heartbeat close Don't you ever leave me And I breathe your air When I land in another city And I'll be one that's got you printed on my bones Yeah, you're all I know Everywhere I go, oh, oh, I change it all, oh, oh Always on my own, I'm still New York You're the only own that I'll ever know My concrete walls, I'm still New York Yeah, BK born and raised, I was Godsend to hit them courtyard and prospect Take them long walks on my time spin Just a kid with that empire state of mindset Kick flipping off a blind deck Dipping from the New York City's finest Yeah, said I've been up on my New York shit Walking down the block with my New York bitch I can never leave my city, ain't nothing like it Even if I do though, I can never hide it Top down on the west side when I'm driving East side be the only side that I'm riding I'm still here.